Five key website architecture mistakes to avoid with Kavi Cardos. The InSearch SEO podcast is brought to you by Rank Ranger, the all-in-one SEO platform that helps skill your business through data and analytics. Hey, it's David. How efficient is your website architecture? That's what we're discussing today with an altruistic SEO evangelist with nine years experience leading digital strategy for top companies in entertainment, cybersecurity, education, and beyond. She was the creator of Moz Academy's technical SEO certification, has spoken at Brighton SEO and the Revenue Marketing Summit, and is currently SEO director at Corporate Finance Institute. A warm welcome to the InSearch SEO podcast, Calvi Cardos. Hi, how are you? I'm very good, thanks, Kavi. Well, uh, you can find Kavi over at corporatefinanceinstitute.com, and I hope you're well too. Yes, doing very well, thank you. Good. I was. It just struck me that um, before I carried on with my spiel there, I should have asked you how you were doing as well. So, it's <laughs> <hence> that question <laughs> then as well. <laughs> anyway, and today Kavi's going to be sharing five key website architecture mistakes to avoid. So, starting off with, off with number one, building without a blueprint. Yes. So this is the biggest one, in my opinion. I've seen this mistake made so many times with uh, people who are either building a website for the first time or maybe adding a new section onto a website that's already been created previously. So the issue here is that when you build a website without mapping out your plan first, or when you add a new section onto a website without sort of mapping out your plan, most of the time you're not allowing for future growth. You're not uh, accurately predicting ways that you might add on to the website in the future. So one of the things that might happen is uh, thing that I see fairly often is you might create uh, your website and might be fairly small to start out, right? So you add a new page, maybe it's your very first blog post or your very first product that you sell, and you start adding pages just straight off of your domain. So all of your slugs are just .com slash slug. And you do that because you think, well, this website isn't going to have very many pages on it. But what you do uh, when you don't create a folder structure for your pages to live under is eventually you end up with far more pages on your website. It has grown, you know, and they those pages don't have a logical folder structure to live under. So you end up with pages that don't have any place to go and uh, you end up having to sort of throw them on willy-nilly in these places that don't make any sense and sort of ad hoc. So you end up with a, a fairly messy website. And the way to avoid that problem is just by having that blueprint to start with. Or if you're restructuring a site, um, mapping things out ahead of time and knowing where you want them to go before you actually start moving things around. That way you're not uh, having to do things at the last minute, having to do things ad hoc. You actually know where things are going before you get started. That's the, the best way to avoid, you know, having to sort of mess around with uh, without a plan in place. So you're obviously thinking about the products that you sell, the categorization of those products, what you're likely to write about, I guess, within a blog as well, if, if you have a blog in your website as well, and the categories of that as well. When you're talking about the folder structures being optimum and um, not having pages directly in your domain name, is it the case then that it's harder for Google, uh, for Google crawlers to determine what your page is about if it isn't in some kind of folder structure? Or is it possible to educate Google what your page, page is about by having some kind of good on-site structure and uh, breadcrumbs to do that? Or 
is a folder structure always a, a optimum to, to do that work? I don't think it's necessary 100% of the time. And sometimes it does make sense for a page just to live straight off the domain. You know, if that's what makes the most sense for that particular page, if that's sort of the most logical place for it. And of course, there are other ways to show Google what a page is about besides just that folder structure. Uh, I would say it just serves as another hint. So if it's logical for it to belong within a certain folder, if that's sort of the place that your brain would go as a user, then throw it in that folder and have that folder be titled something that gives Google that extra hint about what the page is about. And you mentioned breadcrumbs. That's another good way to sort of add another extra hint too, and to make that folder structure make extra sense and to add in a bit of internal linking as well to say, you know, here's an easier way to navigate through my folder structure. We've got the breadcrumbs there at the top too that helps guide users around the site and guide crawlers through the site at the same time. And your second website architecture mate to avoid uh, is deprioritizing your users. Yes, yeah, speaking of users. So I said the first one was the most important. This one's probably actually the most important. <laughs> so uh, we're obviously all concerned all the time with uh, how well Google can crawl our sites and how search engines are treating our sites and everything. That's sort of what we get obsessed with as SEOs. But our primary concern should really be user friendliness always, because really that's what Google cares the most about. And that's what they're prioritizing, you know. So when they form their rankings, they're looking at how user-friendly your site is. So ultimately, what's best for your user is going to be what's best for the search engines as well. And intuitive uh, navigation, internal, intuitive uh, website architecture is what leads to efficient conversions, too. So that's where your money is. A site that's easier to use is going to guide people towards conversions more efficiently. That's what you want, you know, in order to make your money or, or get your leads or whatever your website is intended to do. So when a site is intuitive, you know, your your UX makes sense in uh, in the sense that your buttons, when you click your buttons, they take you to where you expect them to take you to. Your nav menus, say, at the top of your website or at the bottom in your footer, include all of the links that you need to guide you around to certain areas of your site and none of the links that you don't. So there's not a lot of fluff there to distract you from uh, the actual pages that users might want to use. And your accessibility is on point too. It's not difficult for people who are, say, using screen readers to navigate around the site either. So you don't ever want users to have a destination in mind or a page that they think, oh, this should exist on this website and have to ask themselves, where is it, though? How can I find it? You know, if there's an obvious help page, for example, that they know they need to get to, it should be really easy to find that without having to dig around. And one of the most vital ways I've found to ensure that all of that is working properly and you've got that in place is just through user testing. So that's a really vital part of the process when you're either building a new website or especially when you're changing something about an existing website. Uh, I think one of the mistakes that people end up making is either ignoring the user testing piece altogether of a site restructure or performing user testing in the sense that uh, they just ask other people at the company, hey, does this work? You know, other people within mm. their organization, does this rebuild make sense to you? Because a person who works at your organization who's on your website all day every day is already sort of instinctively going to know how to get around whatever sort of inconveniences or roadblocks exist on the site. So asking people who have never used the website before, have no familiarity with your brand and how the website works, uh, they will bring up 
bugs, roadblocks that you've never considered before. And they might bring new ideas to the table too that are really valuable. Great points. And so many different angles that I could take in terms of a follow-up question. I'm just going to ask a little bit more about user question. Is there an optimum way to user test? I'm thinking maybe record a a 10-minute video of them experiencing a web page for the first time and seeing what they do and seeing what comments they have on the experience that they have. Is, is, Is that the best thing to do? I honestly, when I have done this before, I've had the most success using an external agency to do it. And I say that because one of the hardest parts of that process is finding the right people to perform your user testing. Just getting people to sign on and say yes can be really difficult. And there are agencies out there that that's all they do. Um, When we did a site restructure for the Learning Center when I was at Moz, we used uh, an external agency to do that process for us, and it made it so much smoother because, for one thing, that's all that that agency does. So they're um, experts in that field. They know exactly what questions to ask, and they have like a stable of user testers who are at hand ready to go. So you don't have to waste your own time on finding those people and incentivizing them and all of that. It's just sort of a ready-made process for you. So I would say like just out outsourcing that is so much easier than trying to figure out how to do it yourself. And the third mistake is overthinking and overcomplicating. Yep. So as most people I think know, flatter and simpler in terms of navigation is usually better. So even for, you know, say an e-commerce site that has really complex filtration options and maybe even millions of URLs. The flatness of your architecture is going to change depending on how big your site is, how complex your site is. But uh, even for a site like that, the filtration controls should be simple enough that a user can immediately understand how to use them as soon as they arrive on the site. And uh, regardless of how many different ways that your uh, URL structure might be able to change as you mess around with those filters and that sort of thing, the structure of those URLs should still be consistent as you use those filters, as you go through your pagination options, that sort of thing. When you look at your URL structure, regardless of what kind of site you have, that structure, the the folder structure that you look at when you just look at, you know, the way a URL appears in your browser window should accurately describe the path that both a crawler and a user's brain follows to reach a destination page. And if it doesn't, then something is wrong. So on CFI's website, for example, the the company that I work for now, we have a resources section. And uh, within our resources section, we've divided everything into uh, topics. So we've got resources slash accounting slash slug. And that's the flattest we could possibly make our, our architecture. And it makes sense both to crawlers and to our users. They're inside resources. They want accounting resources. And then they want a specific accounting resource about, you know, taxes or something like that. So when you look at that URL, it should sort of lead your brain down that path. And if you've got a folder that says, you know, other or something like that. That's not a very descriptive path that your brain might actually go down. So that's those are things you want to change. How many users who aren't SEOs will actually be aware of the specific folders within a URL and reference that in relation to where they are on the site? So I, I think that matters more when you are doing something like using breadcrumbs. And it matters more when you're Uh, because, you know, if someone's looking at the breadcrumbs at the top of the page, you want them to be able to go backwards and find their way back. But also 
When I say folder structure, I don't mean literally they're looking at the folder name and that matters to an average user because it doesn't. But uh, it, it does matter because your, your URL structure tends to match the way that you have things organized into folders within, say, a navigation menu. That does matter to users. So if I'm on our resources section on our website, you'll see everything is split into those same topical folders visually on the website as well. So they need to be able to see, oh, here's accounting. When I click into this, I can expect that I will find all of our accounting articles. You know, that's fairly obvious. But you see that mistake, too, where you, you might find like a really complex resources section on a website, for example, and everything's just put in the same place or everything's uh, organized alphabetically or something like that, that doesn't really help somebody find their way around. So that's sort of what I mean by the, the semantic organization. And mistake number four is changing too much too fast. Yeah, so this one can be tough. And it's sort of a balance because you, when you're doing something like a, a website reorganization, you obviously want to get everything done. You want to sort of get over that hump quickly enough that you can then move on to the next thing. You want to see your results. Obviously, it's exciting to sort of move things around and uh, can also be scary. So you want to put that project behind you. But I've found that if you redirect, say, thousands of URLs at a time, sometimes that volatility can indicate instability to search engines. So it can sometimes cause your rankings to take a bigger temporary hit than they might have if you've redirected, say, one section of the site at a time. So if you know that you're going to be uh, redirecting a whole bunch of stuff because you're moving around like big sections of the website at a time, splitting that out into pieces and saying, OK, let's do this hundred URLs today. Next week we're going to do or even next month we're going to do another hundred URLs and sort of splitting it up can help smooth out that uh, temporary hit that you take or that you sometimes take in rankings when you do something like that. Plus, it makes sense to test smaller sections of a site to see if those like click-through rates, your conversion rates, user engagement, whatever metrics you're hoping to improve are actually improving when you move things uh, before, you know, taking the leap and doing everything all at once. Taking us up to mistake number five, losing track of your data. Yeah, so for a site migration or, again, a site restructure or something like that, I always recommend keeping track of way more data than you think you need to. When I do a project like this or anytime I undergo any sort of architecture, the spreadsheets that I keep are completely out of control. I keep track of absolutely everything. So I've got old versions of sitemaps. I've got old lists of resource URLs with all of their old performance metrics that don't even apply anymore because they're from like two years ago, just because I don't ever want to have to ask myself, Okay, what happened here? What was going on on this page before and after we redirected it to a new URL? So I keep track of absolutely everything and I never delete any piece of data when I'm working on a project like this because I just don't ever want to have to wonder what happened, you know, at, at any point in that process. And one pro tip here is that if you are uh, redirecting uh, pieces of a site that have that sort of folder, subfolder slug architecture or that, that folder structure, like, for example, a resources section, uh, it's best to avoid changing the slugs themselves, if at all possible, because that makes it so much easier to track over time. So even if you're changing the folder structure, what folder things live in, if you can keep the slugs the same, then at least you've got the, the slug identifier to be able to uh, keep track of, okay, before we move this from this folder to this folder, 
you know, it was doing this well or whatever. And now it's now it looks like this just sort of keeps things a little more streamlined. Great advice. Well, let's finish off with the Pareto pickle. So Pareto says that you can get 80% of your results from 20% of your efforts. What's one SEO activity that you would recommend that provides incredible results for modest levels of effort? So I'm switching gears a little bit. <laughs> no more site architecture, although sure. it applies to site architecture. It applies to literally anything that you might do in SEO. But my answer to this is client and or in-house stakeholder education. And I think that that's something that sounds like it requires a lot of time and effort, which is probably why so many SEOs avoid educating clients or their fellow uh, in-house stakeholders about what they're doing and instead just go along, you know, doing their SEO work and not sort of explaining what or why they're doing it. But it really doesn't have to be complicated. And giving your clients or your coworkers just even the basic information that they need to understand your SEO efforts, why you're doing what you're doing, why it's important, yields huge results in the form of buy-in and collaboration and that sort of thing. So I think it's one of the most important things we can do. I've been your host, David Bain. You can find Kavi Cardus over at corporatefinanceinstitutes.com. Kavi, thanks very much for being on the Insert SEO podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for listening. Check out all the previous episodes and sign up for a free trial of the Rank Ranger platform over at rankranger.com. <laughs>